Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. England's T20 World Cup hopes are hanging in the balance after defeat to Ireland, with their game against Australia on Friday now a mouth-watering, virtual must-win for both sides. If, after listening to this, you're still desperate for more analysis on England's latest World Cup malfunction, Mark Butcher was excellent on where England went wrong on yesterday's daily podcast. But for now, to discuss the T20 World Cup, but also the rest of the happenings in the world of cricket this week, I'm joined by Wisden Cricket Monthly Editor-in-Chief Phil Walker and Wisden.com staff writer Katia Whitney. Phil, England weren't very good against Ireland and may well be basically out of the T20 World Cup in 48 hours' time. Uh, what, what would that mean? Would we have to say this is a, a bad England team? Would Mott Out start to trend? <laughs> Doesn't quite track, does it? Mott Out? <laughs> no. Uh, it would be a shock, considering how they played against Australia in the warm-up games uh, and considering what they've done overall over the last two or three years, it would be one hell of a turnaround if, if they do get dumped out of this tournament that they've quite rightly been among the favourites to, to take. Um, it's an absolute showdown at the MCG under lights. You just hope that the rain doesn't play, play a part. This is very early in the Australian summer and so... It has impacted on the tournament a little bit so far, and, and you've seen that reflected not just in some of the games, but also in in the crowds as well. You know, I was talking to Mel Farrell, who's on the ground down there and doing some work uh, for various outlets, one of which is for WCM. And she said the thing with Australian cricket fans, they love their love the stuff, but they don't get there quite yet. Well, they may not have fully got their teeth into the tournament up to now. They will do come Friday night because the cards have fallen in such a way Another thing that Mel said to me, having spoken to some of the English journalists and people around the team, is that they were really hoping that Australia beat Sri Lanka last night to set up England's win against them on Friday night. And I said to Mel, 
be careful what we what we wish for here from an English perspective. And it's played out. It's come to pass. England deserved to go down against Ireland. They were dismal, really, from start to finish. Mark Wood gave a very revealing and candid interview at half-time. I mean, Butch may, may be going over this um, on the other show, so I don't want to dwell too much on it. But uh, England, England were poor from top to bottom, really. They didn't hit their lengths. Um, they were a bit iffy in the field. One or two, it was a bit slippery underfoot, but but one or two mistakes were made in the field as well. And an island could have even have got more than the one five seven one five eight, whatever it was in the end. Uh, they were a hundred for one off the best part of half, ten overs or so. So they could have even gone on from there. Uh, England were a bit skittish with the bat. Harry Brook didn't get going. Uh, ben Stokes got a jaffer, admittedly, but his binary run of scores over the last five games is a cause for cause for concern at number four. Uh, Hales hasn't got going. Butler hasn't got going. Milan struggled under a runner ball for his 35. So, yeah, there are problems there. Um, that said, I still think player for player, they're the best team in the tournament. And when they click, and it could yet be on Friday night, then they'll beat any side out there. But this is T20 cricket. And what we've seen is confirmation if it were needed over the last two weeks that it's the most beautifully democratic game out there if you make a mistake if you if you're if you have an off day if you have two players or three players that you're carrying uh then you can get turned over by a coherent and unified cricket team um and we've seen that with Ireland they are a joy they bring so much optimism to the world game uh and they won that game fair and square uh we, it's crazy to think, but we could be talking about England being dumped out of this tournament and having just played three games by by Friday afternoon. Equally, we could be saying the same about Australia in their own backyard. So look, uh, what happens on, on Friday morning will be appointment to view stuff for anyone who gives a toss about this game because it's going to be absolutely electric. Yeah, Cam Ponsonby has written a piece for the site which goes up in a bit, which points out actually that England actually had the luck go their way in this game. You know, they, they won the toss when it was going to rain which should be quite a big advantage. Um, just as that partnership between Lorcan Tucker and Andrew Balburnie was threatening to sort of really push on towards maybe like the 200 mark, there was that run out at the non-strikers end where it was, you know, driven back. Dilrashid gets a finger on it. The Ireland dropped a few catches. Uh, there was what one over where Gareth Delaney dropped two catches and then caught Harry Brook. Uh, so actually England, I mean, it, it could have been worse. They couldn't have asked for more. It's not like you can say, you know, things fell Ireland way, Ireland's way, things fell England's way. But even having said that, as Phil says, England are rightly considered one of the best teams in the world. And I guess that's kind of part of the nature of this format and this tournament, isn't it, Katia? That anyone can beat anyone and even one defeat can be enough to knock you out in a group of five as South Africa found out, uh, a group of five games as South Africa found out last year. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think that game had banana skin written all over it from the minute it was confirmed. England have an atrocious record against European teams in T20s, not just in World Cups, but just overall generally. Um, and it was just so just going to happen. It was just going to happen that way. And that's how it was. And like you said, Australia could have easily slipped up against Sri Lanka yesterday, but they managed to claw it back thanks to a brilliant innings from Stoinis. So if they'd lost to Sri Lanka yesterday, they're equally, it's like, if not more likely to go out of the World Cup having lost to New Zealand. So the fact that they actually pulled it around against Sri Lanka yesterday makes Friday a more interesting encounter than it would have been if they hadn't managed to pull it back or Stoinis hadn't managed to pull it back. You're bang on about England uh, just being unable to to defeat European teams in this tournament. Historically, 
Um, Richard Isaacs, the Sky statistician, pulled them out, but I mean, no doubt they're on the tip of your tongue as well. 2009, lost to the Dutch. 2010, no result against the Irish, but England were going down in that game as well. They lost to the Dutch again in 2014 and then got turned over against Ireland just now. Um, you're right what you say, by the way. They did have the rub of the green. They won the toss. I think they've forgotten a little bit that they are a brilliant setting team. Mm. And knowing that there was weather around as well, it was a peculiar uh, decision by Butler, I think, to decide to chase. Um, and then compounding that, they went ab- about their innings as if it was inevitable that they were going to get 20 overs in. Well, we've seen throughout this tournament that, it, that the rain is sniffing around. This is Melbourne in early spring. It's rainy. And they'd have seen all the forecasts. So to go about it, plodding along, leaving Livingston in the hutch, batting seven, leaving Curran, in, Curran at eight, um, Milan's innings in the context of a truncated chase looks ever more questionable. And look, they, they got their asses handed to them and they deserve to. Yeah, it's a good point, actually, that like it's, it's, a fair, it's fair enough logic to chase if it's going to rain so that you can be ahead of the Duckworth Lewis pass score. But you should then make sure you're ahead of the Duckworth Lewis pass score. Sorry, yeah, I should have clarified <laughs> that. You know, have, have some... Have some clarity of thought. Yeah. If you are going to make that decision to bowl first, then make sure that you, you utilise that advantage. Mm. It's interesting what you say, though. It was 2009 that England lost, uh, or the rain washed out that match against Ireland, right? 2010. 2010. And it's nice that the rain has now redressed the balance a little bit, because I yeah. was going to say Ireland were going to win that match. Yeah. Um, again, Butch may well be talking about this, but just a word as well on Ireland's new ball attack. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely brilliant stuff to see. Now, Josh Little, he's in my fantasy team, by the way. I'm not doing very well, but he's in my fantasy team. Left arm seamer, cleaned up Butler, nicked him off. Um, one got big on Hales, got rid of him as well. Um, the ball to get rid of Stokes from Finn Hand, uh, ball of the tournament, or certainly one of the balls of the tournament, that would have bowled any, any person at any point in any format. Neil Harvey would have played down down the wrong line against <laughs> that. It was absolutely unplayable. Break back through the left-handers' defences. Um, and they've, they've, got, they've got a really good, varied attack. You know, they've got a leggy in there as well. They've got, they've got a bit of strength as well, a bit of kind of seam bowling strength. M- McCarthy coming in towards the back end as well, bowling late 80s, heavy-duty deliveries. And he was the one who got rid of Milan to, to confirm that they were ahead on D- on Duckworth Lewis. Uh, really, really impressive. And Balburnie as well, who speaks so brilliantly with such uh, kind of quiet authority, doesn't he? You know, and, and for him to, to strum 60 and 40, all their families were there as well. So look, it's, it's just a very rousing story for the world game, I think. You know, we've spoken about the, the associates before on this show, but, but they are... They're a young side regenerating again, and it's just great to see, really, for the future of the game. Mm. What I found a little bit shocking, actually, was England have only played Ireland twice in T20s in a really, really long time. And Ireland aren't an associate nation. They're a full member nation. Mm. So, I don't know, I think there's something to be addressed there as well. Yeah, and it just adds more credence to what I think would be a good thing, even if it is a slightly second-string England side, that sort of, like, four-nation tournament every year would be just loads of fun, wouldn't it? Scotland, Ireland... England, the Netherlands, mm. um, uh, and England could then get a win over over a European on the board. Um, final, final thing on England then, Phil. Should they make any changes? I'm convincing myself more and more that Moeen at four and Stokes at six might be a sensible switch. It just looks to me like Moeen is basically a better T20 batter than Ben Stokes right now, essentially. I don't know. Maybe. 
maybe certainly on paper Stokes is really struggling. Um, he's he's played down the wrong line twice now, albeit it was an absolute jaffer from hand in the Island game. Got cleaned up by Mo Nabby in the first, um, uh, and he didn't get any runs against Australia either. <laughs> that said, he's such a big match player that you can well see him turn up against Australia and 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 have an effect at number four. I like Mo as the finisher. I think there's a lot to ask of Moeen if he's if he's got 12, 13, 14 overs to play with. But if if you're needing 65 in five overs, then you want Moeen in there probably more than you want Stokes, especially if there's going to be some slow bowlers um, at that at that point. But you can argue the toss. And look, if if it comes down to form, uh. I think they'll be flexible anyway, right? You know, Butler hasn't got going yet. If Butler gets going and sets some sort of platform and if they're into the second half of the innings and they're only one or two down, then I think you see Moeen anyway. I think the thinking with Stokes is that he can anchor the first half of the innings and then expand in the second. The problem is he's he's not getting in. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a very difficult one. Certainly having... Having Livingston so far down the pipe in in the in the game today was was problematic. Um, they should have showed a bit more imagination. I think they should have recognised that things were getting out of hand and things were spiralling and that the rain clouds were were gathering. Um, I think against Australia they'll have to think on their feet and, and address the situation as it as it plays out. You know, I think a good T Twenty side naturally does that. Mm. Uh, Katia, you meant you touched on it already, but what's your moment of the week? Uh, Marcus Stoinis digging Australia out of a hole against Sri Lanka or somewhat of a hole. Um, yeah, it was a brilliant innings um, and it was made to look even more better by Aaron Finch not being able to hit off square at the other end. Um, but yeah, brilliant innings. I think my favourite moment in that innings actually was the third umpire likening the boundary rope to a Toblerone. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the finer bits of third umpire commentary that I've heard. Yeah, it's another bit of um, umpire lingo that they've brought into the game. You know, rock and roll this and, and Toblerones. They're, they're leaving their mark on the game. It's lovely to see. Ridiculous. Yeah. Lovely. I, I liked in that Stornis innings. Firstly, I really like players are starting to more and more celebrate individual sixes, almost more than milestones. Like a player will smash a six and then it's like before it would be like you almost like try and look cool kind of thing. Whereas a player will like they'll because they'll have it so conscious, like, I've got to hit a six this ball, I've got to take on this bowler, that when they do that, they recognise that that is the big thing rather than, you know, knocking a single to get to your 50. So he, I think it was against Hasaranga, that second six he hit, he did it, and then just a proper yell, because he knew that was kind of the game one. And also... It's a far cry from Jim Laker being handed his, his jumper and just strolling off after picking up 19 yeah. at Old Trafford. But yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. And, and it sums up T20 cricket in that, it's 120 events, isn't it? Mm. 120 individual moments per innings. Uh, you, you're bang on because Australia were favourites, but they were only just favourites. And Aaron Finch was playing one of the most peculiar, and that's being generous, innings that you'll see at that level. I mean, he, you know, he could barely lay a bat on it and was getting increasingly exasperated. And Stoinis came in with the game kind of in the balance, and well, yeah. So, so they needed absolutely just walked away with it. It was an incredible knock at that stage. They needed nine and over, and they'd scored four of the previous fourteen balls, so they were really bogged down at that point. And yeah, um, he's also if I was to construct a cricketer, uh, I think you'd have Faf Duplessis' triceps, but Marcus Stoinis's biceps you, got you, a, a you, brilliant you bicep have, vein. You, you uh, have stirrings for Marcus Stoinis. Yeah, he's he's don't a, you Ben? He's, he's he's just he's just got an excellent an excellent upper half, I think. <laughs> Um, 
Enough there you have that. it. Uh, there's one piece of T20 World Cup fallout we should discuss, uh, which is that West City's head coach, Phil Simmons, has uh, quit his role after his side were knocked out in the first round. Uh, he's not leaving straight away. I think he's going to remain in charge of the Test Tour of Australia to sort of oversee a transitional period. And it's worth noting that West Indies' record in tests is superior to it in the white ball format. Um, he described their elimination as heart-wrenching and unfathomable. But I guess, Phil, the sad thing is is that this, this isn't really unfathomable anymore, exactly. is it? Exactly that. Uh, if you go into a tournament without an all-timer in Salon Arena, without your most flamboyant, charismatic and match-winning batsman in Sh- Shimron Hetmeyer, uh, and those decisions are met with a shrug by the chairman of selectors, Desmond Haynes. No Russell as well. Sorry, no Russell as well, although there was more of a it was a fitness cloud around Russell, but even so, he was still he was still playing mm. beforehand and, and looking in fine fettle. Uh, so you take those three players out, all three of them in Crickviz's top twenty, all uh, current T Twenty players in the world, in which appeared in the magazine last month. Uh, you take out those three players, and you and you turn up, you play the you play the qualifiers. Um, and they take one win from three games with a scratch side, and it heart heart wrenching or heart rending is is the right way to put it, but it's not unfathomable as you quite rightly say. Um, no team out there is inoculated from what's what would be described on paper as an upset, but increasingly they're not upsets; they're just good sides turning over demoralised sides. Uh, but the thing for, with the West Indies is that if they don't excel in 20 over cricket, if the, the the extraordinary story of their history doesn't coalesce into being absolute guns at 20 over cricket in men's cricket, then what are they for? What, what, what function are they serving here? Nobody goes to watch five-day cricket unless England are playing and they bring all their hordes over. If you're a West Indies, Indian cricket fan then you 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 look at t20 cricket for your 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 modicum of comfort right and your little kernels of optimism for the future and if you see that shambles turn up and besmirch the history of 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 the shirt and the badge then how can they possibly expect people to continue believing in this in this in this culture that's how significant these kinds of results are because it leaves you with nowhere to go. And it's it's heartbreaking for a neutral, but you imagine what it's like for a lifer, for a loyalist who who has seen the West Indies undulate across the last 20 years, obviously fall away from their amazing position way back when. But at least there were these, these glimpses of a different kind of style of cricket, but still a, a kind of style that, that keeps them on the top table. Uh, and so what you saw there is more damaging than a standard 3-0 defeat in a test series in Australia. It's more damaging than being turned over in a test series in England. It's, it goes right to the heart of what they mean in the modern game. Uh, and it's really, really difficult to, to see and to stomach. Uh, my heart goes out to Simmons, who's a good man and who did a decent job. He's, my heart goes out to Jason Holder, who plays all the formats all the time uh, and has given everything he's got. My heart goes out to Nicholas Poran, right? Who, who's who's a young skipper trying to figure out how to how to realign this listing ship, 
denuded of three of his best players, arguably the three best players they've got. Uh, so yeah, pretty grim to say the least, really. Mm. And then with the next T20 World Cup being held in the West Indies in the USA, I guess if they do get their act together, that has the potential to be a you know a special moment after you know a few years in the doldrums. But if not, and you know you get another early elimination, that could be a a tough old tournament. Yes, yeah, um, really good point. Actually, I didn't actually factor that in. But you're absolutely right. The pressure will be be seriously on. It has echoes actually of the 07 50 over World Cup. Lara's last run out for 18 in the last mm. game. Uh, you know, they, they broke the bank to set up those white elephant grounds in, ver- in the, the outskirts of various states and regions. And, and then they couldn't really deliver on the pitch. And it felt like, again, the culture took a real pounding on the back of that. So, yeah, look, that, that tournament looms immense in the, eye, in the eyes and in the lens of, of West Indian cricket fans and all of us, really. Mm. Uh, well, this podcast comes out on a crucial day for the tournament with India, Pakistan and South Africa all in action. So we won't get too much into the permutations, etc. of that group. And there's lots else from the world of cricket to talk about anyway. Uh, not least, England have announced a squad to face Australia in three ODIs. Huge. This series begins four days after the T20 World Cup final. So perhaps it'll be a good thing if England don't make it. Um, it's not <laughs> part of the Cricket World Cup Super League. I'm not really sure why it's being played, to be honest, but it's happening. So let's talk about it. Uh, Katia, Jason Roy has been retained. James Vince has been recalled. There's quite a lot of older guys there. I think there's only five players under 30. Uh, what do you make of, of the squad? It's a bit weird. They could have used it as an opportunity to play a load of young guys rather than play a load of old guys. What's Jason Roy done between now and when he last played Limit Overs Cricket to come back in as an opener? They could have tried someone else. James Vince, I'll give him a pass. I like James Vince. So why do you go. like him? Because he's so good to watch. Um, don't really care that he doesn't get any runs as long as he makes a really good looking twenty. That's fine for me. A million percent, well said. Um, but yeah, it's just really odd, really weird squad. Vince's return is obviously one for the poets out there and and, and catcher himself. You know, fully behind that. Got to bear in mind, he did make a hundred in his last ODI game as well mm-hmm. against South, against Pakistan. Uh, and we wondered if that was going to be this this final, you know... Coda sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As it is, it's a, it's a semicolon, hopefully, and th- that you will get another hit. Um, in Australia as well, where it sort of began for him in Test cricket. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'm, I'm roused by that. I can't say I'll be, I'll be glued to every single ball of it. It does feel like a classic, empty, soulless, money-churn game uh three three match game but within that there's there's always little stories Who, who's who's in the who's in the but seam attack anyone of note no i mean it's i suppose it's his of note that chris jordan is in there considering he's no longer saving on the airfare right he's already I, out there i think that that is probably quite a big part of it which i mean you know like tom helm was in that t20 squad that taught pakistan didn't get a game uh and he's now not in this squad, and so they say. So they've they've gone with guys who are in the T20 World Cup squad, and there's no one in the Test squad or in that Lions squad who's been picked because they'll be in the UAE. So that's the likes of um, uh, Ben Duckett say who it might have been good to see him get a go, but that explains his absence, Will Jack's absence, I guess. But then isn't, isn't, isn't that odd as well? Like that Lions squad, like you could have sent some of them to play some actual cricket against Australia in Australia, or the ones that were going to play limited overs anyway rather than put them in the UAE in a dead series that doesn't really matter in the England Lions, potentially. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it is almost one that, I don't know if they 
there was some sort of deal with Cricket Australia that meant they had to book this one in and now it's happening. They've got to pick something. The Vince thing is interesting though, because as you say, Roy, I, I suppose with Roy, it's worth differentiating between his T20 and ODI form. He's, a, he's, a, he's, an, he's an ODI great. Uh, his T20I numbers have never been particularly stand out. So he maybe has slightly more credit in the bank in that format. But as you say, there are, you know, he's not got much rope left. And with there being a World Cup next year, there might then be a spot open at the top. And, you know, James Vince has had a go at nailing that spot down before and hasn't managed to. But since that ODI 100, he has won basically everything going. Um, so there's no, like, th- this is his, this could be his chance, maybe his last chance to be, to say, I'm that guy kind of thing. Um, no, Bearstow, obviously. So so yes. that would that would explain why Roy and Vince have got the nod. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, well. Hales as well, I guess, which is somewhat interesting. Mm. Mm. But you say it's an old squad. Vince is what thirty-one. Yes. No. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that they're all past it by any means. It's that. It's that. It's. It's not a young squad. I guess there's a lot of players who are uh, at or past their peak. And you'd think a three-match series, which doesn't matter towards any competition, might be a chance to try some young pe- people. But that is not how England have uh, have chosen to see it. Um, but that that's more than enough on the series that I don't think most people realise is happening. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Phil, yeah. Richard Gould has been announced as the ECB's new chief exec, which continues the maxim, I guess, a uh, strong sorry boardroom, strong ECB. <laughs> um, lots of the news reports declared him a, a hundred critic when he got appointed. I think it's probably unlikely he'll come in and immediately throw out that new competition. Uh, but what can we expect from him, do you think? I think it's a really good appointment. Uh, he joins, obviously, as you allude to, he joins uh, Richard Thompson at the top of the... Top of the top of the game, top of the order, uh, and they've worked brilliantly with Surrey. Surrey are, as we as we know, they are a uh, an organisation that can bear good comparison with any of the the sporting organisations in England. Really, um, what they've done within their field is is brilliant. They they've consistently turned a heavy product uh, profit. They've brought through constantly good young players to play for England uh they pack the ground out here as we know so um with a little bit with all of their if you like natural resources so there, there's a lot of benefits in there but Gould Gould for many years ran the show here and he did it with quite understated very approachable you bump into him in the corridor he's always very nice to people there's no there was no loftiness around him he'd worked at Somerset before as well so he real cricket man real sports person actually son of Bobby Gould the former Wales manager Coventry manager um and so he worked at Somerset as CEO was headhunted in effect by Surrey did some good work very good work here as I say and then went to Bristol City I think it's Bristol City he'll shoot me down if it was Rovers but one of the Bristol clubs anyway and he went there I think slightly slightly peeved that he was overlooked um come the shake up for the ECB for the for different roles and so I think he thought okay my work in cricket is probably done well thankfully he's been dragged back into the to this setup and I think it's a it's a good thing for the game um I spoke to somebody who's very high up at the ECB with insider knowledge of the the organization at board level in particular and 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 they said to me that whoever came in would be expected to take some really difficult 
hard-nosed decisions because it's a quite a bloated organization and there's some dead wood in there uh, according to this person I spoke to and so some tough decisions will need to be taken um, well Gould is nobody's fool and he 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 will have a pretty clear mind I think he'll, he'll understand the brief and he'll need a tough outer shell and he'll need a tin hat as well so he's a good man for this job I think the idea that he is um, like a hundred hater and will be fighting tooth and nail for the for those counties on the bottom of the rung, I think I think is a bit more complex than that, or a bit more nuanced than that. Uh, I spoke to him before the, a ball had been bowled in the hundred and asked him about it and asked what impact it would have on the on the counties, especially on the lower rungs of the ladder. Now, you've got to bear in mind, he was wearing his Surrey hat. He wasn't wearing his ECB hat. He was wearing his Surrey hat when I spoke to him about this. And Surrey is a business in and of itself. But he said to me that that 1.3 million payment, annual payment to go to all the clubs and which got the vote over the line, he described it to me as a stay of execution for loss-making counties. Um, And he said that it's in effect, it's a five-year buffer to get their houses in order. That's how he understood that payment and that's how he understood the ECB's thinking. In an ideal world, everybody wants everybody to be happy and prosperous and we can all move along with this 18-club model. But I don't think uh, Gould is so... I don't think he's an ideologue necessarily for that. I think he's more pragmatic than that. Uh, As I say, he's run clubs that are big, test match ground clubs, and he's run in Somerset, a club that is a more provincial club as well. Uh, I think he will have the flexibility to do the job as best as he can. It's not an easy one. But uh, if people are hoping that he will, I don't know, puncture the bubble of the 100, then then, then they're going to be mistaken, let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, look, a good man doing a very difficult job, the right bloke for the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, A little bit of uh, India-Pakistan stuff with their two boards trading press release barbs off the field. I'll just go through it quickly. So uh, Pakistan have been named as Asia Cup hosts for next year. And initially it looked possible that India might actually tour there and that could be sort of a a resumption of of, of that arrangement. But then the BCI Secretary Jay Shah, who is uh, the son of India's Minister of Home Affairs, who's probably the most powerful man in India cricket. He's the one who's kind of, who's always there, kind of the, the guy behind whichever ex-test cricketer is the BCI president. You'll see Jay Shah there. Uh, he said that India would only play in the Asia Cup if it was at a neutral venue, so they wouldn't be able to tour Pakistan. And the PCB battle press release saying they were sort of disappointed in this and that this statement would threaten their participation participation in next year's world cup which will be held in india uh one thing that should really simplify things but does actually complicate things is that jay shah is also the president of the asian cricket council which runs the asia cup so he's the in charge of the organization that said let's play the asia cup in pakistan and he's also the guy in charge of the organization that said india aren't going to play in the asia cup it's pakistan so he's a uh yeah he's, he's a politician basically and, and, he, and he's playing in politics um in any case it's early days no one's pulled out of anything yet nothing is decided but it's definitely one to keep an eye on um phil your moment of the week was having a coffee near my flat well i didn't know that you were living in in the most prosperous uh <laughs> desirable borough in in britain i didn't know you were living in kensington and chelsea until this morning yeah a, a basement flat uh whatever mate yeah. whatever 
Uh, yeah, met Keaton Jennings for a coffee round that way. We had a chat and, a, and did an interview just before he was flying out to South Africa for a few weeks. Break before joining, up, obviously, with England's test team for Pakistan. Um, I've met him a few times. Uh, I interviewed him when he was playing for England back in 2016-17-18. And we sat next to each other at a Chance to Shine charity do last November as well. And that was the first time that we sort of chatted over a drink. Um, and I remember that night because he was one of the very few tiny cohort of current players to actually turn up um, to accept an invite to the Chance to Shine. He gave an award out. Uh, and I thought that was quite striking in itself that he was there. Um, and life was better for him by that point. He'd had a good 2021. Having fallen out of the England side in early 2019, averaging 25 over 17 tests uh, and having experienced his game falling apart in the 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 aftershock of that uh, that England run that he had he was starting to get things back on an even keel and he'd met a girl and he, he was doing his masters in business and he was starting to middle a few and he'd made some hundreds in 2021 and, and things were good for him it was a really nice chat he's a he's an excellent lad uh he's curious and engaged and conscientious and articulate much more so in these in those terms than the many cricketers that you do meet um anyway this year as in the summer just gone he tore it up made 500s made a triple made a double uh was averaging over 100 per game um average 72 i think it was across the season uh for lancashire in the top div uh, and he uh, he's done uh, he's made a few technical adjustments to his game. He was telling me about that. He, it was actually a clip, you know, Collingwood's catch of Matthew Hayden in '05. He watched that clip on Instagram by chance, and he noticed that Hayden had a particular style that he wanted to ape. He wanted to copy his setup, uh, and I don't want to go into too much detail on it. But essentially, it's where you begin with your hands. He'd got to a point where his hands were up when he was playing for England, and it meant that he had no flow, he said, into his shots, and that he'd jab at shots, especially the cut shot. But he watched that Hayden catch, the Collingwood catch of Hayden, and Hayden begins with his bat on the floor, and it's only really when Harmison bowls that he picks it up, and then there is a natural rhythm and flow to the shot, albeit he got out, but he still still crunched it. Uh, Jennings started to adopt these kinds of ideas into his own game, and it bore fruit last year, as I say. So anyway, long story short, gets called up, up into the England team and, and, and we sat down and had a chat. Um, he's in very fine fettle, uh, about to get his shotgun license. Wow. Yeah, didn't see that coming, did you? Um, he's living with his girl up in the north of England, feeling very much the, the, the country gent, you know. Um, deleted Twitter as soon as he got the nod from McCullum. 95-second phone call from Baz McCullum. Um, straight into the point, played a few shots and then put the phone down on him. Uh, deleted Twitter as soon as he heard and he won't be opening that up until next year. Uh, he's a smart boy. Mm. As I say, no, no flies on this kid. Uh, he'll be missing his graduation ceremony for his Masters because he'll be possibly, very possibly, opening the batting for England in, in the first Test match in Pakistan. Um, I think it's probably a shootout between him and Ben Duckett. Anyway, that interview goes in the next magazine. Um, Joe's interviewed Ben Duckett. Cameron Ponsonby is interviewing Harry Brook. So we've got it all covered for that issue. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm rooting for Jennings. He's definitely one of the good guys. I'd love to hear a McCullum, uh, you're on the plane phone call because I imagine Jennings doesn't get a word in. It's sort of, sort of like probably is that Keaton? And it's like yeah, but it's hi, this is Baz, and then it's into the yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is what I like. This is a, yeah, that would be great. Exactly. It is. Uh, I know we've talked about it a bit on this show, but it's more about recent stuff. I, I find it odd, almost thinking about when he was first selected for England, because to me, it felt like at the start of that summer in 2016. I don't know if people remember, but he had a brilliant summer, but he still wasn't selected originally because Duckett and Hamid had also had brilliant summers, and those two, it felt, were kind of more earmarked as guys who might want to great three things, whereas Jennings was guy who had reached a run of form that we didn't realise he was capable of and had had a brilliant summer kind of thing. And then he has, like, obviously through peaks and troughs, sustained it, which I I think that was almost surprising. Like, when he came into the team and then came out again, it was like, okay, that's that's what's happened. Uh, this guy's had, you know, a great 18 months, and but he is the level below. And it seems like that might not be the case, considering how regularly he's able to get up to that level again. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what mm. happens with that first Test 11. Um a bit of county news. Uh, Chris Rushworth, the leading wicket taker in Durham's history. He's left Durham, hasn't he? He has, yeah. It was it was an odd... So he's gone to Warwickshire. It was a bit odd because Durham put out a release saying that it was for personal reasons. And then a few days later, it just said Rushworth signed for, for Warwickshire. So I don't know if the personal reasons were just that he personally felt he wanted to earn a bit more money at a bigger club or if there is something else going on there. Um, mm. But yeah, that's a, a blow for Durham. But... I guess, you know, might win a championship at Warwickshire. Uh, and it's that seems like a nice club um, with a good seam attack. So good for them. Uh, Cheshire Pajara has re-signed for Sussex and Leicestershire. This, this is, is a big huge. one. This is huge. They are um, reportedly on the verge of signing Ajinkya Rahane, according to the Telegraph, which is a massive coup. Uh, I guess that that's uh, the payoff from them hosting India for that, that sort of weird tour game earlier this year. They, I think uh, it's a good idea. Just going to you know, a multi, multi, multi millionaire and saying, look, do us a favour. Come and have a hit in England. It's nice. You're not doing much. Uh, Let's not worry too much about the money. And hopefully you get him on a good day and fair play to him, Rahane. He said, yeah, I fancy that. Mm. They did it with Saywag um, towards the back end of Saywag's career, but he was still making good runs and they got him in as an opening bat. Um, So it's a very smart move. And obviously with a very strong Asian population community within and around Leicester. It's a very smart move by the club. Um, they continue to to do good and imaginative things, Leicestershire, don't they? Mm. Um, and hopefully it can pay off for them. Yeah. So like well, you said with the um, Brendan McCullum phone call, I would love to have been a fire in the wall for the conversation with Jinka Rahani when they yeah. got him to come to Leicestershire. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess one, one of the things I wonder, if, if this does play into it, is I think that, I, I'd hope that India selects would agree like this, but a lot of people say on Indian cricket Twitter, for example, they don't really realise the difference between, uh, and also even in the Indian media, the difference between Division 1 and Division 2. So when Pajara was racking up those hundreds earlier this year, and we kind of knew that some of these hundreds, you know, that the attacks weren't of the best quality, and it probably didn't mean that much about his ability to face down, uh, you know, James Anson or whoever else uh, in, a, in a test match. But it was sort of like, oh, Pajara's got 300 in the Captain Championship, so he's got to play that first test kind of thing. And if, you know, Rahane's uh, sort of uh, fighting for his test career at the moment, that could be... Uh, the same sort of impact who knows um finally phil there's an exciting new thing in the magazine that you would like our listeners to get involved with oh yeah uh so we've compiled a 
Wisdom coaching team. Now, let me not forget anybody's names. Mm-hmm. There's one or two more to add to the list as well. But uh, we've got the likes of Alex Tudor, Mark Ramprakash, Ollie Pope, Tash Farrant, Lydia Greenway, John Simpson, the brilliant keeper at Middlesex, and Toby Radford as well, world-respected, renowned batting expert. And we've twisted all of their collective arms to become a part of our WCM coaching roster. And the idea is over the next few months, we will be uh, encouraging readers and listeners to write in, write into editorial at wisdom.com or send a tweet or an Instagram or do a TikTok. I don't know. I don't know what you call it. Don't laugh at me. It's my birthday today. I didn't even mention it earlier. Um, and... Any problems you've got out there, any issues you've got out there, any queries regarding technique, regarding your own game, any trade secrets. Matt Parkinson was the name I meant I missed. Matt Parkinson. So we've got all the disciplines covered. Whatever your needs are, are for, for your own game or your, your, your brother's game or your kid's game or your dad's game, send them in. We want to have a constant dialogue uh, and we will make your game better with the help of that crack team. Uh, of coaching experts mm. and current players um one or two more names to add to the list as well all being well so yeah get your stuff in please uh Cassie, have you got a technical issue you need to sort it out cricket wise just a bit rubbish to be honest if you can sort that one out well then... you haven't seen him it's all relative <laughs> yeah that's, that's rude phil it's, uh, oh come on I, sh- I shape up all right for someone who has uh if you've never played it before you yeah. do you do actually yeah mm-hmm. third man is your area <laughs> i don't think so yeah in the field, I'm I'm bad. That's true. Cricket balls harder than people think. Um, I, th- I think I think people underestimate the hardness of cricket balls at all levels. Mm. Um, I've spoken to many county cricketers who have said, "Yeah, I spent my whole life being scared of it," and mm. that's absolutely true. And that that is the one thing actually. Obviously, there's loads of difference between the amateur game and the professional game. But one thing. So, what what was the catch in the game yesterday? Maybe Warner smashed it to cover, possibly or mid wicket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and skipper caught it. And, and that's that's quite that's quite a routine catch in international cricket. And there is no way like the vast majority of club cricketers are taking that catch, in my opinion. Like that's just uh, it's just kind of beyond the realms of reaction speed to how fast that ball is going. And yet, he just it's, it's not even really commented on. Well, it's like when the ball goes into the crowd, you always watch it on TV. Be like, yeah, I catch that, and then it comes to it, and you're running out the way as quickly as possible as soon as it's coming towards you in the crowd. Yeah, um, or there was one in the game yesterday where a guy sort of threw himself down about three rows to try and catch it, got nowhere near it, um, <laughs> which is one of the fun things about the uh, the lack of crowds, as, as Phil alluded to earlier. Um, anyway, that's quite enough for today. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you did enjoy it, please leave a nice, maybe even a five-star review on the app of your choice. Cheers. Podcast Network.